Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Samuel. Uh, we are in, what, week six now, I think, of an eight-week series looking at the human stories of David. What do we mean by that? These are the stories that we don't always tell uh, because maybe they don't always put David in a favorable light, right? But, but we, can, we can learn something, the, the real humanity, the real heart of David. Today, we're going to look at 2 Samuel 4 and 9. So turn to chapter 4, put your finger in it. And hold it and go to chapter 9 and mark that place as well. We'll read from both of those areas. Uh, but at the same time, we have to understand that, 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 uh, that what God was doing in David's life is what he does in our lives. And when we look at the stories of David, we get very real pictures of what Christ means to us. That's what we've been doing. Um, I, I read this week that a guy is suing the uh, Smartwater brand. Because apparently as much of this stuff as he drinks, he's just not getting smarter. So I'm watching how this goes down. And if he succeeds, I'm thinking about taking on thin mints. Because it's not working. We are lawsuit crazy in this country. Did you know that on any given year, there are over 40 million lawsuits filed in the United States? Everybody wants justice. Everybody wants what they deserve. We have an agreement, right? We have a contract. Listen, if I go to Chick-fil-A and I ride through the drive-thru and I pull away and I open my bag and I realize they didn't give me my waffle fries, I'm going to be upset. I may not sue them, but I'm going to be upset. What am I supposed to do with my Chick-fil-A sauce? Drink it with a straw? I paid for those waffle fries. But now what if I pulled away from the drive-thru, opened that bag, and they gave me an extra waffle fry? You know what I'm going to do, don't you? I'm, well, I'm going to park. I'm going to walk into Chick-fil-A. I'm going to take that waffle fry. I'm going to hold it up to them, and I'm going to say, do you have another Chick-fil-A sauce I could have? to go with my extra waffle fry. Listen, we want to get what we deserve, right? We, we cry out justice until justice is demanded of us, and then we want mercy, right? We want people to, to earn exactly what they deserve, nothing more, nothing less, until we get more than we deserve, and we like to call that grace. Today's story is about mercy and grace, and the covenant, the agreement that makes it all work. Let's read parts of this story together. Stand with me, if you would, in honor of the reading of God's Word. Let's first look at uh, chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 4 of 2 Samuel, and then we'll skip over to 9. Verse 4 says this, you read along as I read aloud, Saul's son Jonathan had a son whose feet were crippled. He was five years old when the report about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nanny picked him up and fled. But as she was hurrying to flee, he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. Now, flip over to chapter 9. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. Don't be afraid, David said to him, since I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. 
I will restore to you all your grandfather Saul's fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. Mephibosheth paid homage and said, What is your servant that you take an interest in a dead dog like me? May the Lord bless the reading of his word today. Would you pray with me once more? Father, I pray that your spirit would envelop us here, Lord. I pray that what is said, what is heard, and what is acted upon would be exactly as you have designed it today. And we give you the glory in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now, where are we? What's been happening here? So remember, two weeks ago, we talked about a real friendship between David and Jonathan, right? So the two of these guys had a very close personal relationship, right? They were best friends, and, and they, uh, they honored one another with a specific kind of love. You remember the name for that kind of love? In Hebrew, it was called hesed right? Chesed. Now that word is about as close as we can get to the, the Greek term we know of agape love. It's a very special, sacrificial, self-giving kind of love. It's a chesed love. And out of that love, David and Jonathan promised something to one another. They made a covenant to one another. You can see it in 1 Samuel 20 as, as David, or excuse me, as Jonathan risks his life to save David's life, he says to David, if I continue to live, show me kindness from the Lord. But if I die, if I die, I don't, please don't ever withdraw your kindness from my household. Not even when the Lord cuts off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. That was the covenant. Now, here we are years later, okay? Uh, uh, Jonathan has been killed in battle. But David has not forgotten the promise between them. That takes us to 2 Samuel chapter 9. In verse 1, we see David now is invoking that same chesed kind of love once again. He's sitting there, he's king, okay? And he's saying, is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul who I can show kindness, that's chesed, I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? And the good news is, there was. There was. See, when, uh, when the Philistines defeated Saul and his sons in army and, and killed them all, okay, the families of Saul and his sons ran for their lives because they knew the Philistines would come after them next. And Jonathan had a little boy at this time. He was about five years old. His name was Mephibosheth. You can try to say it with me if you want, but... It took a while, so just I'm warning you, okay, um, and a lot of, you know, this. So, so Mephibosheth was five years old. The nanny that looks after Mephibosheth picks him up, and they start running, fleeing, and in the madness and in the melee, they fall. And what happens is when, when she lands on Mephibosheth, he, he breaks his legs, and they never get set right. And because of that, Mephibosheth is now crippled. He's crippled for the, the rest of his life. And so now here we are in 2 Samuel chapter 9, and we learn that Mephibosheth is still alive. He's living in someone else's house. He's living in abject poverty. He's living in obscurity. Not a great life, but he's alive, right? He outran the Philistines. He's managed to stay unknown to this new king of Israel, King David. He's even got a son now. That's cool. 
And now there's somebody at the door. King David wants to see you. Now, if you look at this interaction with Mephibosheth and David when he first gets here, David, if you look up to verse 1 of chapter 9, says something that the angels always say when, you know, God shows up. Don't be afraid. Now, why would Mephibosheth be afraid? What is this fear that maybe Mephibosheth has? He didn't do anything wrong. He wasn't the one chasing David. But see, he knew what everybody else knew. This was not about Mephibosheth's actions. The danger for Mephibosheth was in his bloodline. He was the last remaining heir to the kingdom of Saul. And it was a common practice in that day among kings of all the nations that when one king deposed another king, one of the first things they would do would be to systematically eradicate all the bloodline of that king so that no one could ever come back and say, I'm the rightful king, I'm the heir to this throne. Mephibosheth knows that. That's why he's been living in hiding. And now here's somebody... King David wants to see you. Uh-oh. Not good. But Mephibosheth wasn't a threat. There was no way he could be a threat to David. I mean, this, this is a culture of like personal strength. And for a guy that's crippled, he's basically worthless in this society. He doesn't even have his own house. He's living with someone else. He's living in a place called Lodabar. Do you know what Lodabar means? Land of nothing. Do you see how he refers to himself in front of David? What would you have to do with a dead dog like me? We've talked about dogs before in here. In this time and in this place, there were no little cute hypoallergenic lap dogs. Like dogs were, were, were scoundrels. They were scum of the earth. And to, to be called a dog was no compliment. And that's what Mephibosheth calls himself. Not just a dog, a dead dog like me. I mean, this, this guy's got some self-image issues. Mephibosheth is fearful. He is destitute. And he is helpless. He's not worth killing. But it's not killing that David has in mind, is it? despite the political expectations maybe that are on King David, despite the prerogative he may have to, to deal with Mephibosheth as he seems fit, uh, David, David had a different plan for Mephibosheth because David had a promise to keep. That's our second point this morning. In addition to mercy, a life spared, there is a covenant. There is a promise to keep. David made a covenant with Jonathan. No harm would come to your descendants in the event of your death. Now, I want to make sure we understand this word covenant. We don't use it that much. I don't think there's anybody in this room I've come up to and said, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Okay? We look at these things differently. But a covenant at that time was both commitment and obligation. It was not a contract. It was not an agreement. If, if, if you're an employee of a company, that's an agreement. Sometimes it's actually a contractual agreement, right? But if you're married, that's a covenant. Okay, a covenant is personal. It's relational. Two friends binding themselves together with a promise to one another about their families, with God as their witness, that's a covenant. And in this covenant, that's where we start to see the parallel between this story and our story. David's mercy on Mephibosheth was not pity 
any more than it was about politics. This was not about whether Mephibosheth was or was not worthy of mercy. It was not about who Mephibosheth was. It was about whose Mephibosheth was. This was the son of Jonathan. He was the object of the covenant. This is what I mean when I say it interacts with our story. Think back to Genesis. Man's first disobedience against God. Okay? In that moment, it became pretty clear pretty quick what they had done. They were going to get kicked out of the garden, separated from God's presence, no longer able to stand in God's presence because of their unholiness now, their unrighteousness. But in the course of all of that, God starts to make a statement. He starts to make a promise. He says to the serpent, I will restore this. It will come through the offspring of the woman. And while you will bruise his heel, he will crush your head. Now, after that, what happens in Genesis? Things go off the rails. Sin begins to darken every door. And it is so pervasive that it completely and irrevocably, it seems, corrupts God's creation. So much so that God decides to do what? Wipe it off. Start over. He sends a flood. But before he does, he takes one man and makes him a representative of mankind and says, I'm going to preserve a remnant of humanity from you, Noah. And he makes a covenant with Noah. Then after that, he calls out this man called Abraham. And he says, through Abraham, I'm going to start initiating this plan of redemption to restore to humanity what Adam and Eve lost in the garden. And so with Abraham, he makes a covenant. Fast forward a little bit. He leads his children out of bondage, out of Egypt, and he, he starts to, to, to build this kingdom of people, a representative nation with Moses as their leader, and with Moses, he makes a covenant. Fast forward to, to what we're studying now. When he says, through David, I will make a king over this kingdom, and his reign will be eternal, will never end. And so with David, he makes a covenant. Ultimately, though, ultimately, all promises would be fulfilled in the ultimate covenant, and that is Jesus Christ. All those other covenants, all those other promises, that's what it leads to. Your Bible right here is divided into two halves, the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? Do you know what the word testament means? Covenant. Your Bible is divided into those old covenants and then the new covenant. What is the new covenant? The new covenant is Christ. It is that covenant that means mercy for you and me. Now, do you ever see or think about an issue in the Bible and it just won't let you go? Like, I need an answer for this. I need to figure out this thing. That's what this was for me. As I wrestled with this this week, I needed to say, God, why? 
If I am hopelessly lost as a human, if I believe this, if I, if, I, if I believe I cannot save myself, if I believe I am condemned because of the nature of my bloodline, why save me? Why go through all these covenants? Why go through all of these promises, this mercy, this grace, all of those things? You know what God said to me? He said, there's a reason you call me Father. And I started thinking about my kids and how I love them. And I realized that God wants us to call him Father because he is our loving parent. We come from him. He could let us go. He's got every right. You don't listen. Just forget it. You don't keep up your end of the covenant. He could easily say that, couldn't he? But he doesn't. We say to him, why? You know what he says to us? Because I love you. Because I love you. The Father says, I made you. Because I love you. Jesus says, I died for you. Because I love you. The Spirit says, I live in you because I love you. We love him because he first loved us. I said, love. That's the covenant. David's mercy for Mephibosheth was for Jonathan's sake, the sake of the Father. God's love for us is the same thing. It is for the sake of the Father. We are God's representatives. We are His image, and He loves us. Listen, you may not feel very lovable. Like Mephibosheth, you may feel spiritually lame. You may feel cast out from the establishment, rejected, some rejected line of, of, of humanity, living in hiding, a dead dog. But that's not who you are. You are a reflection of God. You're a product of God's love. Why the covenant? Why the promise kept? Because a real love it's the love that God has for you and me, the love of the Father. That's the covenant. And David doesn't stop at mercy. Did you notice that? God won't either. He didn't bring Mephibosheth in just to say, hey, you're safe, I'm not going to kill you. He brought Mephibosheth in to say, you're home. Look back at verse 7, the second part of it. I will restore to you all your grandfather Saul's fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. Now let's talk about the grandfather Saul's fields for a second. Let's talk about that land. don't have time to unpack a lot of that today, but suffice it to say, this is land that's probably been in Saul's family for generations before he was king. Okay, his family, we think, was, was wealthy. Uh, they had a number of parcels of land. Uh, the problem is when Saul dies, when Saul's sons die in battle, there is no more heir. There's no one to pass that land on to. So by law, it goes to the kingdom. And since David is king, it goes to David. David now controls all of those lands. So when David looks at Mephibosheth and he says, I'm going to give you back all the lands of your grandfather Saul, he's restoring Mephibosheth's inheritance. He's restoring his identity. He's basically saying to Mephibosheth, you don't have to hide anymore. After all these decades, it's okay to be who you are. 
But more than that, more than giving Mephibosheth what was rightfully his, David takes it a step farther. He says, I'm going to give you a seat at the table. Oh, and there's your grace. There's your grace. Mephibosheth, you now eat with me. Friends, that's more than a meal. That's more than an extra waffle fry and a bag of Chick-fil-A. When you eat at the king's table, you're family. You're protected by the king. And you're accepted by the king. For the first time since he was five years old, Mephibosheth had a place. He belonged. My, uh, my dad, growing up, lived in a different state with a different family. Sometimes he would make the long journey to come get me for a weekend visit, and I, and I know that he loved me as best he could, but I'm just being transparent with you today and telling you that I never really felt a part of his family. I would sit at his table, and we would eat together, but I never felt like I belonged. I never felt like I was accepted. So when I read 2 Samuel 9, and I see David loving the son of Jonathan, letting him sit at his table, giving him acceptance, basically adopting him as one of the king's son. Two crippled legs sitting beneath the most important dinner table in all of Jerusalem. I see that acceptance. And I feel it. I see that adoption. And I feel it. The covenant that David had with Jonathan was to protect Mephibosheth. But what David does in this moment is more than protection. He restores Mephibosheth. That is wonderful, marvelous, matchless grace. Some of you may relate to what I'm saying. You may relate to Mephibosheth in this moment. Maybe you're still suffering the the lasting effects of someone else's bad choices. Maybe you're still living in hiding for fear that people will discover who you really are. If that's you today, listen. Someone wants to meet with you. And this is someone you don't need to be afraid of. This is someone who wants to give you mercy, who wants to give you grace, who wants to restore to you everything that you've lost, who wants to give you a seat at the table, who wants to give you your inheritance of a vast eternal kingdom. Not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. You are the fathers. You are God's. You are His. Because He loves you. Moses led God's children out of bondage in Egypt to their salvation. And when he had done so, he gave them instructions for a meal. A meal that would help them celebrate that. That would help them remember that. We call that meal the Passover. When Jesus led God's children out of the bondage of their sin into eternal salvation, 
He gave us instructions for a meal. A meal to help us celebrate that. To help us remember that. We call that meal the Lord's Supper. And it's for this reason that the Lord's Supper is reserved for those who have put their faith and their hope and their trust in Jesus Christ. Some of you may be here today and you're not a believer in Jesus. You're, you're observing, you're seeking, and that is completely understandable. But please recognize this moment is for those who belong to the Lord. If you belong to the Lord, then this moment belongs to you to help you celebrate to help you remember His mercy and His grace. So as our deacons prepare to serve us now, would you prepare your own heart? Would you consider God's mercy to you, His grace to you, the covenant that He makes with you in Jesus Christ? Pray with me. Father, bless this moment, the taking of the Lord's Supper. Thank you for the seat at the table. In Christ's name I pray, amen.